all these athletes factually Haphazardly is not one part of the strategy gone Development, it's all we envelop in Tell a friend, a wealth of intelligence Unless you're selfishly embellishing all of the championships Basking it in, let's study in The conferences, Pac-12 and Big 12 and the 10 SEC, ACC, win, 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 win It just kind of fades from there, that's good Yeah, they said like a minute, so Wait, there's more? Don't forget about the Mountain West The Mac that can flex, somebody's next Ivy League fresh, literally though Thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of players to test G I'm serious, they will talk about the most obscure players on this planet. Potentially another planet. Like, dude's got a 4-3-40 from Mars, like, I don't know, I, it's too much, I'm done. I'm gone this time. Welcome in, this is Debbie Manuel, episode 38, where we back. talk about everything from college to... NFL to rookies, and right now where everybody's focusing on the rookies, everybody's excited about the rookies. We got, you know, some news, a lot of news to cover here in our first segment. But first up, let me introduce my co-host, Mr. Joseph Namor. Joseph, how you doing, bud? I'm doing good, Dwight. How are you? I'm doing really, really good, man. We've got a little bit of snow up here. How are you guys doing over there? Um, we're all right. I just came back from a, a short vacation, so getting used to the cold again. I'm up in New Hampshire, so. We get snow and cold weather all the time, so it was nice to get out of that for just a, a week or so. And I hear you there, man. Like, we have not gotten hardly anything in Michigan this year. Um, I think maybe three inches total, which going into the end of almost February, that's crazy for us. Usually by this point, we've had a couple feet, so it's been a pretty pretty lame winter. Um, I'm not complaining, but some people are. People like to snowmobile and crap like that, so I, I like to stay inside when it's cold. So, <laughs> like, like a, I'm not one of those. Yeah, you won't catch me complaining. I mean, it's been a pretty light winter for us too, but I mean, generally speaking, we usually get slammed starting in December. So it's been pretty good, all things considered. But I'd rather be in the warm weather. I'll say that. All right, this week we have a special guest. Guy, I've, I've talked to you before, haven't I, Skip? I think I have. Like, I, I swear I have. Well, I know we've talked. I don't know if we've actually done a podcast together, but or maybe maybe we were both guests on a mock draft. I don't know, but yeah. Anyways, Skip Skip Newton, who is the host of the Debbie Happy Hour over there, he kind of he took over for me. He stole it from me. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, he definitely took the reins up, and you guys are doing phenomenal work over there. So, Skip, how you doing, man? Doing really good. Uh, you know, listening to you guys talk about the. The weather there, we're kind of the same way here in Minnesota, where we got some snow early, and then it got nice and melted, and it was it was still warm enough where we're looking outside. It's like, okay, our, our grass is green, and it's early December. This is weird, and got a little break myself from the cold weather. I've uh, my wife's family lives down in Texas, so spent a week down there for Christmas. But now we're getting back into the the flow of things here. But man, it's it's always nice when. You know, the, the, the NFL playoffs get you through January, and then as soon as the Super Bowl is done, it's like, okay, now I'm ready for winter to be over. Let's just get to spring. I wish it worked that way, man. Usually, once football's over, then we get dumped on for another month, and we're reminded of how long winter actually is. Exactly. <laughs> it sucks. All right, so speaking of, the, speaking of the winter and things we have going on on the college landscape, there's quite a bit of news this week. Uh, we're getting fired up for the Senior Bowl, and the other day they announced there will be no traditional combine this year, which totally, totally sucks. 
I, I have it wrote down here or copied. There's no in-person workouts, no in-person interviews. The drills will be handled at the college pro days. They will try to have, I think they're going to try to have actual more NFL staff at the pro days to make it so it's not, you know, quite as loose as, as the pro days normally are, <laughs> you know, to hopefully you know, have a little bit of uniformity in times, things like that. But it's probably not going to be very good. Uh, media media availability for team coaches, staff, and drafts will all be virtual. So, yeah, crazy, man. Uh, so that just ultimately makes the Senior Bowl even more important. So, I don't know, we'll talk about this. A lot of these prospects and these the running backs, the wide receivers, though, I think are gonna are really going to be hurt the most by this not having a combine. Is that, do you guys think that way, too? Or Yeah, so, I mean... For me, I'm curious to see what testing looks like. I mean, typically, I, I enjoy watching the Combine because I'm a complete degenerate, but I usually don't weigh the Combine very heavily in my process. Um, typically, I use it as a barometer to measure against what I've seen on film. So if a player runs a 4-3 but doesn't look like he's that fast on film or can't separate deep, then... I basically use it as a check to go back and see if there was something I missed while I was watching tape. But there's always guys throughout the process that you see rise after they test really well or test really poorly and they fall. So it'll be interesting not having the combine as that sort of benchmark that we are able to measure against every year. I know I mean, we see pro day numbers each and every year and the pro day numbers are greatly inflated like you'll see a 40 Typically, I think the adjustment that we make to level set a pro day 40 against a combine 40 is like 0.07 seconds. Sometimes it's even more drastic than that. So it'll be interesting to see the impact on this. Uh, but I think one of the things that we will see is some of these players with checkered medical histories that aren't able to get their medical checks done by every team at the combine and have those... Um, medicals available to all teams. I know the teams will do their due diligence and stuff and make sure that they have their backgrounds prepared on everything. But I'm just worried about for those players that may have had a tumultuous college career that not having the combine experience uh, may hurt them. Yeah, I think that that's a good point. I hadn't even thought about that. I, I think I did read something about, you know, they're, they're going to address the whole medical concern, but, but that's a good one. I think I'm wondering the the guys that chose to opt out and not you know not take place in the goofy college season that we had are they going to be hurt by not having a combine because you know maybe that was their one chance to to kind of get in front of these people in person and show them hey I'm still I'm still here great athlete you know et cetera et cetera and is that something that now you know maybe hindsight they're like God maybe we, maybe I should have played you know who knows but you know they've been preparing for this this time, you know, for the whole season. And now it's, now it's kind of taken away from them. I'm, sh I'm sure they'll still test well, you know, with whatever they come up with the pro days, but that's, that's something that kind of popped into my head right away. Right. A guy like, I think like Sage Surratt, you know, it would have been nice to see him do the drills, see what his agility is like, things like that, you know? Yeah. Like, like Joseph said, I don't, it's not for me, it's just a, it's kind of just one part of the equation, but it also helps separate, you know, some of the guys, the lower level guys. You see what kind of athletes they are. So, yeah, it's 
It definitely, it definitely sucks. I, I usually do watch all of it. I even, I've even gone down to Indianapolis a couple times and not even went to the actual combine just to kind of hang out there and the whole atmosphere. So it's, yeah, definitely going to miss it this year. But I think that makes the Senior Bowl even more and more, more important. I mean, because now these guys will get those drills that week of practice, you know, that week of, you know, being around the scouts, the, the staffs, you know. So Senior Bowl is even more important this year. I mean, it's really the only bowl game this year as well. As far as the like all star bowls, whatever you want to call it, I'm not sure exactly. Uh, talent bowls, I don't know, <laughs> whatever you want to call that. Real quick, though, we'll go through this list. Um, skip of these quarterbacks, who are you really excited to watch? We got Kellen Mond, Sam Ellinger, Ian Book, Kyle Trask, Felipe Franks, Jamie Newman, and then also Mac Jones will be there, but I think he said he's not going to play. Is that right? Or Yeah, I think that's what I heard as well. You know, the, the guy I would love to see play quite a bit would be Jamie Newman, hopefully, because, again, you know, he opted out of the season. So I think that's the one that a lot of us are looking forward to. I mean, we've seen seen quite a bit from from the other guys on the list. So, you know, Newman is one I'd, I'd like to see get in there. You know, how does he look having not played for a while? He would be the, the quarterback that I'm focusing on the most. But, you know, of course, you want to watch all of them. Hopefully, you know, a guy like uh, Kyle Trask can, can show better than he did in the bowl game because that was a – a disastrous performance. He had lost a lot of his, a lot of his favorite targets, of course. So he's another one that, you know, hopefully he can bounce back and show better, maybe improve his, whatever draft stock he might've lost with that, that bowl game appearance. All right. And then these running backs too, there's a pretty good group here. What do you think of these guys, Joseph? Are these like Ramondi Stevenson, who's come on toward the end of the year, Demetric Felton, Trey Sermon, which I don't know if he'll even play with the injury. Um, I haven't even heard what that did. Have they said what the injury was during the bowl game? I don't even during the BCS title game. I actually have not seen anything about it. I don't know if I've seen anything either. I haven't really been too active on Twitter the last week or so, so I may have missed something, but I I mean, he left after the the first play and didn't see him since. And I I haven't seen anything. I don't know if Skip, you saw anything. I haven't either. I remember just you know, seeing it live and wondering if it was a, a collarbone because that's kind of what they were talking about, but I don't know if that's been confirmed or not. All right. So other than that, we have Michael Carter, Larry Roundtree, Kylan Hill, Evans, Chris Evans, Elijah Mitchell, Khalil Herbert. Who do you think stands to make some money off the senior bowl in that group there, Joseph? So, I mean, this is an exciting group for me. I like a lot of these players. I think um, a couple of the names that stand out, Khalil Herbert is a player that I think could make some money here. I think Michael Carter is pretty well known at this point. I expect him to be uh, either a late day two or early day three guy. Trey Sermon should probably fall in the same bucket. I think Ramondre Stevenson and Khalil Herbert are the two guys I am watching here. Uh, and Kylan Hill as well, uh, since he really only played a couple games this season and then opted out for the rest of the year. Hill is a guy that I was a lot more intrigued in um, before the season. I don't really know why I sort of fell out of love with him. I think he's more of a he's a player that can do everything at a adequate level, but doesn't really stand out in any particular area. And one of the things that we had seen from him prior to this year was. Uh, an adequate ability to rush between the tackles, but hadn't really demonstrated much receiving ability. And then with Mike Leach coming to town this year, um, we expected him to inherit a lot of the Max Borgie type targets where you get peppered with screens and stuff behind the line of scrimmage 
where you don't really necessarily need to separate on your own and you're just schemed targets due to the uh, nature of the passing game. And we saw Kylan Hill um, do a pretty good job demonstrating just capable chops in the receiving game. So I'm excited to see if he plays um, what he looks like just because I think he's a player that has three down ability. I think he's probably more of the jag territory than anything else, but I think he's a player that I'm at least sort of intrigued by. Stevenson, I'm excited to watch play um, outside of the Oklahoma system, a bigger back with very quick feet and good power, um, receiving chops as well. So excited to see him. And Herbert's just an exciting player. I mean, Virginia Tech is not a program that a lot of people watch week in and week out unless they're fans of that team. So I think seeing him on this stage could be helpful. And just the last name I wanted to touch on quickly, uh, Demetric Felton, um, undersized scatback type player with electric playmaking ability. Just curious to see how he's utilized in this game uh, if he gets to play any decent amount. Right, he's been getting some buzz lately too. I wasn't overly impressed at college with him. But he, he seems to be kind of like one of those sexy names, sexy um, like uh, sleeper names that people keep throwing around. Uh, Herbert definitely started off this year crazy, and I was looking forward to watching him play as well. So, yeah, I, I like that a lot. And we'll go with these wide receivers pretty quick. A lot of these we'll cover on the wide receiver segment. But we got, is there any dark horse names on the wide receiver squad that you like, Skip? We got... I'm not even going to try the guy from Notre Dame. Ben Squarnick, I guess. Racy McMath, Des Patrick, Marquez Stevenson, Dwayne Eskridge, Austin Watkins from UAB, good sleeper name, Josh Palmer, Cade Johnson from South Dakota State, getting some steam, Shai Smith, Tylen Wallace, Nico Collins, Kadarius Toney, Trevin Grimes, Amari Rogers, Frank Darby, also getting a lot of buzz, and Cordell Powell. So who do you like there to... That you know who we're already talking about, kind of the rest of the episode. Are there some names here that think could really stand out this week at this or next week at the Senior Bowl and make themselves some money? Yeah, the, the couple of guys that really stand out to me would be Dwayne Eskridge. I keep hearing a lot about him, and it's just like, okay, let's let's focus on him in this game. Hope we get to see a lot of him. And then Austin Watkins Jr. is another one that that I I want to see more of. I think he has a chance to to move up people's boards. Um, the my co-host on Debbie Happy Hour, Matt, is really starting to fall in love with you know, the other Clemson wide receiver, Cornell Powell, the last guy there on the list. So he thinks that he's the actual the, the guy from Clemson to, to look at, and not Amari Rogers. So I'm interested to watch more of him. Of course, you know, covering the ACC like I do for NFL Draft Bible, I watch quite a bit of Clemson. But you know, and then I think the last guy, last guy on there is another one. You know, going back to the same concept of, of a guy that hasn't played. Nico Collins, you know, who opted out at Michigan. I, I love his, his physical traits and his attributes there. So would, would just like to see him play. I mean, I don't blame him for, for opting out. He doesn't have a, a great quarterback and a great system there. But he's he's one that I think if, if he can show well and test well and look good in the, in the drills and stuff, he could really move up and be a surprise, you know, for sure a, a day two pick. Right. Yeah, there's there's definitely some, some tantalizing names here and some guys that – you know, have, have a lot to prove, which is cool. Like, I, all these guys, do we have any of them in our top 12? Tylen Wallace, that's Kadarius Tony, kind of right yeah, on the t- fringe. T- Tony's probably right at the back end of mine. Yeah, so, like, a lot of these guys have 
they have a, a great, great opportunity here. Then, as far as tight ends, Tony Poljan. Pols- I don't know. I'm, I suck at this. Why? Why? Anyway, Kenny Uboa, who had a couple really big games for Ole Miss this year. Trey McKinney from Georgia. Noah Gray from Duke. Quentin Morris, Bowling Green, SMU's Kylan Granson, and Boston College's Hunter Long. I can spend a lot of names on these tight ends. Do anybody sticks out there for either of you guys? Hunter Long's the the big one for me. I think he's he could probably contend for tight end four in this class behind the big three names that everyone knows, those guys being Kyle Pitts, Pat Fryermuth, and Brevin Jordan. I think Hunter Long is right in the conversation along with guys like Jake Ferguson and a bunch of other people for tight end four in this class. And I think Hunter Long could make himself a good amount of money at this game. I mean, he's... I would say he has somewhat prototypical size. He's a decent blocker. He's good hands, um, decent speed. So, I mean, he basically fits the prototype of what you were looking for in a complete tight end at the next level. Um, So Hunter Long is a guy that interests me quite a bit. The other two uh, names on this roster that interest me are Kenny Yaboa, like you mentioned, Dwight, and Kylan Granson. Granson's more of a receiving tight end from what I've seen. Haven't studied him too much in depth yet. I'm intrigued by his uh, receiving ability as a um, kind of a move tight end at the next level. And Yaboa, similar to how I view Granson, need to do more tape study on him. Um, But I'm intrigued by his athleticism and his... um, I mean, every time I watched Ole Miss, I feel like he was getting open down the seam for uh, a long gain whether it was being schemed into open space or using his athleticism to create space for himself. So those are the three guys out of this group that I'm interested to watch. Yeah, Skip, you got anything? Yeah, I agree completely on Hunter Long. I think he is the the tight end four, at least right now. So he's kind of a, the favorite for that place. So he could, you know, move up some move up some people's lists in a, in a pretty deep tight end class. And I like Granson's athleticism as well. Um, the other one at Bowling Green, Quentin Morris, uh, I'm intrigued by him. I need to see more of him. So going to hopefully take this opportunity to, to check him out and just see, you know, can he, can he uh, move up my board and see if he might make himself relevant. All right. And the other big news of the week before we, <laughs> when we were talking about a show sheet, Joseph said, we need to talk about Chris Olave. And I, I literally have Chris Olave, WTF. <laughs> like, that was kind of the, like, such a huge surprise to everybody, I think. So, jo- Joseph, lead us off on the Olave talk. What Do you think he made a good choice? I don't want to get on the mic and talk poorly about other people and their professional decisions. I just, I don't really, I think the intention here is to, try and mimic what Devontae Smith did in his senior year, where he goes back to school, he's probably a fringe late day one, early day two pick, goes back to school, uh, dominates his competition, rises up the board, and is seen near the top of the next year's class. I think that's what Olave is trying to do here. I just have a lot of questions, because I'm not sure he's the best receiver on his own team. Um, he's going to have a big downgrade in quarterback play as much as I like Stroud and the rest of the guys that they have coming in. Um, I just, I'm not, they're not Justin Fields. Uh, we've talked on this show about how much we like Justin Fields. He's probably the QB two in this class. I feel strongly about that. I know other people have Zach Wilson up there, but regardless, I don't think CJ Stroud is coming into Ohio state this year 
and is going to be the best or second best quarterback in college football. So if you factor in the, the, I mean, he's going to be another year older. So he's entering, instead of being a 21 year old rookie, he's going to be a 22 year old rookie. He's going to have a, um, probably a worse quarterback situation and he's still probably not going to stand out that much, um, above his own teammate and Garrett Wilson. I just, I don't really get it. I know, I, I think I understand where he's, where he's trying to get to with this move. I just don't really think it's a good decision. And I think at best, he's probably still wide receiver four at best next year. Cause you have George Pickens, you have his own teammate, Garrett Wilson, David Bell's up there. Uh, Traylon Burks is an ascending name that I really like. Uh, John Mechie will be the wide receiver one for Alabama. So I'm not a huge Mechie guy, but I think he will rise some. And I just, I don't see Olave getting that much higher. And what does he get to the middle of the first round next year by going back and having a strong season? I just, I wish him the best. I really like him as a player. I just, I'm not sure I understand the reasoning here. I wonder if he just didn't get a good grade. I mean, I I kind of had trouble placing him in this class. You know, I had him kind of right in the middle. So maybe he got a, you know, what do they say, day one, day two, or undrafted grades. So maybe he didn't get one of those. Uh, it definitely seemed puzzling. I think everybody kind of thought he was gone. Maybe he wants to go back next year and finish second again in the lose another BCS title game. Ohio State's good at that. Anyway. <laughs> I, gotta get my, I always got to get my Ohio State jabs in. <laughs> Skip, you got, what do you think about the mate? You know, a lot of, yeah, a lot of the, the guys that have, that have decided to come back, I, I thought made pretty good decisions. There was a couple that I questioned, um, like Zamir White. I, I didn't think he made a good decision going back to school. I thought, you know, coming off of two knee injuries and then, you know, showing out that, okay, hey, I look pretty good. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm recovered. I think he should have absolutely gone pro just because who knows what can happen with another, another season at college. It's like, go, go get your money, dude. But with Olavi, this is one that I, I question as well. I just, it felt like he was, he was, you know, he had such a good season and felt like he finished strong and on a high note and that, you know, things were trending in the right direction. He was showing well in, in big games and it just seemed, you know, maybe, maybe it's, maybe it's just the way I was looking at him because I felt like, he was moving up. He was moving up my board because the more I watched him, the more I loved him. And so I felt like, man, this guy, you know, he's, he's kind of a moving up. He's, he's definitely establishing himself, you know, maybe, you know, not top five, but he's in that next, you know, fairly large group of wide receivers. You know, he, he could easily be a, a second round pick, you know, maybe fall a third round, but man, it seemed like a, a sure thing. And, you know, second round is a, is a good draft stock. And I just, I don't like, you know, like, like Joe said, I don't know how much he's really going to improve his position by, by going back. I mean, there's still some good players there, and you never who never know who's going to step up. And, and like you said, they've got just a ridiculous amount of young talent at wide receiver. And, you know, those guys aren't going to sit there and, and play second fiddle for long. I mean, they're, they're going to get the ball more. So, yeah, I didn't, I didn't particularly like this decision myself. Yeah, and I think just real quick before we move on, I think one of the – downstream impacts we'll see from this is it's just going to delay the emergence of Jackson Smith and Jigba, Julian Fleming. We may see, I I expected G Scott Jr. to emerge. I think he may look to transfer now. Uh, I don't know if he necessarily will or he won't, but it's just unfortunate that they have all of these five stars coming in year in, year out, and 
very excited to watch a lot of these guys play and emerge and put up stats and they're probably just all going to have to wait another year. So too bad. All right, we'll get into this group of 2021 wide receivers. Um, we're going to go through them kind of quick. I'm going to kind of do some different things here. Joseph and I have both of our rankings here, so we're going to kind of skip's going to be our litmus board. You're going to I'm going to bounce stuff off of you. Let us let us know where we're wrong, where, you know, which of us. I'm going to take a tally in which you have to you have to tell each of us which one's right and at the end the winner gets I don't know. I'm just kidding. Don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> You're like I don't want to get in the middle of this. Yeah, <laughs> let me get myself into here. <laughs> All right. Um both of us have Jamar Chase and Devontae Smith as one and two. So, Skip, do you see any scenario where Jamar Chase is not the number 1 in this class? Like is there any detractment to his game? Well, I'm, you know, I'm hearing more and more from people that sometimes he does struggle to get off the line and he doesn't, he's not as efficient at at beating people on that press coverage. You know, once he gets down, down the field, you know, he, he, he's great at contested catches. He's great in space. When he does have space, he knows what to do with it afterwards. I mean, he's fantastic after the catch. So there's a lot to love about Jamar Chase. I think that's the one thing that I've heard. I'd like to see, you know, kind of go back to the film and look at that and see if I can spot what, what I'm hearing other people say, but he's my, my wide receiver one. So I don't know how you, I don't know how you rank these other guys ahead of him unless it's just recency bias and that he, you know, he, he took the year off. So out of sight, out of mind, you forget just how absolutely dominating this guy was a year ago. And as, as awesome as Devonta Smith was, I, I still have these guys one too, like you guys have them. I'm 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 the same place. Right, I've heard the same thing recently that um some scouts have said that that he that cornerbacks are not afraid to get a, get their hands on him off the line, which is crazy because even if they do, he's so physical and strong that you know the separation isn't as much of an issue with him because of how strong he is and his body positioning, things like that. I mean, there's ways to to mask over separation issues, so be something to watch. And I, I definitely would have liked to have seen him, you know, this year at the combine and, you know, everybody that can kind of remember how much of a physical beast this kid is. Yeah. I'm curious to see what he did with his year off. I'm sure he spent a lot of time working on his speed and the stuff that he expected to be able to show off at the combine. But I wonder if he, if he worked with like a, a wide receiver or a footwork coach to try and work on some of his, his release package ways to beat press off the line because i think skip like you mentioned um i think it was eric crocker on twitter that did a a zoom session where he reviewed some of chase's film and that was really the main takeaway that he saw was that chase occasionally struggled to separate from that contact at the line of scrimmage and that he occasionally let contact affect him throughout his route too often i didn't necessarily see that but i am not an expert film watcher Um, So it's something that I want to go back and take a look at, but I wonder, um, having opted out of the season, if he spent some time working on developing some of those more technical skills. Yeah, we'd certainly hope that's what he did, you know, and hopefully he wasn't sitting around playing the PlayStation 5 all year. Um, (laughs) (laughs) All right, um, number two then. We'll get to number two. Uh, And this is another, like, I just, I'm curious. I keep seeing all these guys, and I don't know if it's just, hot take, you know, clickbait type thing, but I've seen Devonta Smith as far down as 10, like on some people's boards, and I just don't freaking get it. I don't know if it's the size or... 
I, I really just don't get it because I what I see in my notes are he does damage at all levels of the field. He's incredibly dangerous. The ball in his hands, he's precise. He's you know there's he sets up moves with hips, head fakes, foot his footwork is crazy. Like he just does so many things so well that he creates separation all over like every level of the field, all over. Like if he watches all twenty two, it's crazy. Like the the guy is nearly almost always open. And I just I, I think he'll overcome the size issues, you know, the that everybody likes to bring up that he's six foot one, 175 pounds, and he he does look pretty wiry on the field when you watch him, but he doesn't take big hits either because he's so freaking shifty. So I don't know. Is that Skipper? You what? What do you see when you see Devontae? Is that kind of where you're at as well? Or yeah, I've got him up there. I mean, he is a he is a stud, and I don't know what more this guy has to do to to prove people wrong, other than of course going into the NFL and dominating. But the the one thing I've heard you know a couple times people talking about the late breakout, and I, I'm I'm always confused by that. It's like, hey, he had a great junior year. I mean, he had. 1,200 yards and 14 touchdowns. And by the way, a lot of talent at Alabama at wide receiver. I mean, they're going to have four guys that can be, you know, first round picks. It's like it, it, there, there's a phenomenal amount of talent. And he, he was arguably the best of them last year. And he was definitely the best of them this year. I, I'm, I think the sky's the limit for this kid and I love him. So I, yeah, having him down at 10, that, that has to be clickbait. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I get the, the BMI argument and, the historical significance of that, but that doesn't mean that it's, that it's a sure thing. I mean, they're, you know, the, the game's changing, you know, athletes are changing and I just, I can't possibly put this guy any lower than, I mean, maybe, maybe three, but that, you know, that's, you're splitting hairs at this point. I mean, he's that good. Right. Cause actually statistically he was the best receiver on their team last year, even with, you know, Judy there and stuff. So, all right, now's where it gets dicey, though. <laughs> Although we actually all we have the same three guys, this is kind of what I consider my second tier. Uh, is that kind of where you're at, Joseph, with these three guys, with Waddle, Rashad Bateman, and Rondale Moore? Waddle is probably closer to my tier one than my tier two. Waddle was my wide receiver two coming into the year. I had Smith at like five or six. Um, he's obviously risen a ton with what he did this season, having it be one of the, the most historic performances in college football history, honestly. Waddle, I mean, before Waddle got hurt, he was the wide receiver one on that team. And Smith had some good performances, but if you look at their game logs side by side, I think Waddle was the guy that had 100 yards and a touchdown in each of his first four games, breaks his ankle on the first snap of the Tennessee game uh, on a kickoff return, and didn't see him again till the national championship game, where he was clearly not 100%, but showed a lot of heart gutting it out for his team. Waddle is a guy who is almost certain to get first-round draft capital, um, has electric playmaking ability with the ball in his hands, very good speed and elite acceleration and deceleration. The deceleration piece is what really intrigues me from a route-running standpoint, um, because that's the... I mean, everyone, every year, we get the looking for the next Tyreek Hill-type player, and I think it's mostly... a a fool's errand. You're not going to get a guy with that sort of athleticism and those ball skills matched up in an Andy Reid scheme with the best quarterback in the sport. Um, so I think the Tyreek Hill thing, he happened to fall into the best situation he could have. But what makes Tyreek Hill so special, I think, uh, on top of the situation he's in, is the way he's able to decelerate. 
So he has world-class speed and he can decelerate and stop on a dime and just create massive amounts of separation. And to me, Jalen Waddle has that more than probably anyone else in this class outside of Rondale Moore. And uh, Waddle can, um, he can threaten defenses deep. He can um, create yards after the catch in the short and intermediate areas. He has good hands. Really the only concern to me outside of the ankle and making sure he's 100% is his age. He's going to be a 23-year-old rookie, uh, which isn't something I really hold as a major red flag. It's more something to uh, just be aware of that he will be old coming in. It's not like Jamar Chase, who is going to be 21. Um, So just something to be aware of. But Waddle, to me, is closer to the Chase and Smith tier than the guys underneath him for me. Skip, what do you got on those three? I, I mean, I love all three. Of course, I love I love Bateman, my my guy at the University of Minnesota, and and Rondell Moore. Hey, people again are are you know out of sight, out of mind. I mean, yeah, he came back and played, but not like he did his his freshman season. But of these three, I, I got to agree with Joe that I think Waddle is the one that that is closest to Tier One. And if 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 anyone were to to step up you know, in their rookie season and end up being, you know, kind of a surprise wide receiver one, like, oh, he wasn't maybe taken first, but by the end of the season, I mean, wow, that's the guy you want more than the others. It wouldn't surprise me at all if it was, if it was Jalen Waddle. I mean, he is, he is that athletic and that dynamic. I mean, he just, he, he's not just fast. Like, you know, like we've seen with some of these other guys that they end up you know, getting taken because they run a great 40 time, but they're, you know, they don't have maybe the other finer parts of playing wide receiver with the route running and the, you know, like you said, the deceleration is a great observation. He's, he has all that. I mean, you know, he was a dynamic punt returner as well, which shows you, you know, a skill set that is not easy. I mean, you, that is something completely different than playing wide receiver. And it just shows you how quick that he makes decisions, changes direction, and then accelerates, you know, and, and, and makes great plays you know on special teams and that's a that's a trait that that we like to see in you know in wide receivers because it shows that they can do pretty special things with the ball in their hands and waddle is that guy for me so yeah i've got him you know he he keeps moving up my board i mean i i I was not expecting him to play at all after that ankle injury i thought it was really bad so he he probably shouldn't have been playing but the fact that he was at least healthy enough to get out there and still look fast even for clearly not being 100 percent you know kind of sold me that okay that when this kid gets healthy he is going to be dynamic and i i love him more and more you see a lot that he he could potentially be the first wide receiver off the board so just because of that what you guys said the speed the the the, yeah, the, the way he cuts on a dime the preciseness of his moves and his burst in and out of the break it, it's pretty ridiculous so um let me see of that group yeah, we mentioned Rondale Moore a little bit, and yeah, I don't know. It's so hard to to get where the NFL is going to value him with him not, you know, missing so much time the last couple of years. You know, I, I don't know. It's gosh, he's one of those. He's like the most perplexing guy in the draft, man. Like I don't, I just don't know what to do with him. I almost feel bad even having him right in my second tier just because of we haven't seen him. But then that first year that he had, you know, with over 2,000 all-purpose yards and just how ridiculous he looked, you saw little flashes of it. You saw it against the Minnesota game when he did play. 
Although someone mentioned to me earlier that he didn't look as fast and as quick in that game, and I and I thought maybe a little bit. You know, you saw maybe a little bit of hesitation, a little bit of timidness in the way he was playing. So maybe he's maybe he's worried about being hurt at this point. So I don't know if you guys have anything on Rondale Moore. He's just I just don't know what to do with him, man. I really don't. Moore feels more landing spot dependent than a lot of other guys here. I think his freshman season, we saw what he could be. He's one of the most electric playmakers in this entire class. One of the most electric playmakers we've seen in some time, to be honest. I just, it feels like Purdue manufactured a lot of touches for him, which is uh, both a good and a bad thing. I think you want players to have touches manufactured for them because that means um, the team recognizes that they are either an, a special talent or an elite athlete or both, and he appears to be both. You would like to see him win more frequently in more prototypical ways, and I, I think he's capable of doing that. We saw plenty of that his freshman season. The problem is we haven't really seen a ton of it since, and I mean, I do plenty of my own film work on all of these guys but I do look at where mock drafts slot some of these players just to get some sort of pulse on how other analysts are seeing them, how the real NFL is going to view these guys. And Moore is the one that seems to be either a very late day one selection or a, uh, a second round pick. And to me, I feel a lot more confident in Rashad Bateman in this tier than I do Rondell Moore. And I just, I'm very, I'm hopeful that Moore lands in a landing spot that will be open to using him in creative ways and showcasing his electric playmaking ability. Because I do think he, in a class that isn't as loaded, he's for sure a top three talent. And I feel bad having him down at five because in, in a normal class, I think I could have him at one or two. But I have some questions and I think he's just, he needs to be, I, I just have a little bit more questions with more than I, I would about any of the guys above him. I, that's kind of where I'm at. I very much just don't know what to do with him. Because, I mean, he was like the number one Debbie asset like two years ago. Like, like he was, yeah, like just the promise after his freshman season was so huge. So, and Speaking of Bateman, Skip, we'll go up to you since you're the Minnesota guy. Give us what you got on Rashad Bateman. What do you like about him? You think I think he's got a potential to be a wide receiver one right out the gate. Yeah, I agree. I I think people saw this year and that really the the Gophers struggled offensively. Tanner Morgan wasn't the same quarterback that he was a year ago. And you know Bateman, you know he opted out. He had COVID, had issues with that. Then he decided to come back and play. And the offense was really really stagnant. And it was you know basically you know run the ball to Ibrahim you know, first down and second down. And if it, it got to third down, then we're going to throw the ball to, to Bateman on a cross. And he didn't seem to to run as many of the routes that he ran the year before, you know, in 2019, he was, he was running deep routes. He was running crossing routes. I mean, it was, it just seemed like he was more involved and you saw the, the huge play potential that this guy has. I mean, he, he absolutely can beat people deep he has the the flair to make spectacular circus catches. I mean, great concentration, you know, a couple of one-handed catches, you know, under pressure and being defended well. And so I, I agree. I think he has absolutely wide receiver one upside because I think he can develop into that player that can be used all over the, 
the place. And he's just a, a really complete wide receiver in kind of across the board. I mean, he might not be the elite athlete of a Jalen Waddle, but he's not slow either. I mean, he, he's definitely going to be fast enough, but I think he, he runs good enough routes and he can develop that, that ability to, to, to catch the ball, you know, contested catches. He's, he's really good at as well. So, you know, yeah, I'm a, I'm a, a goal for Homer and fan, of course, but I think Rashad Bateman is, is for sure a, a late, late first round, you know, early second round draft pick and, and has that potential to be something special. And I, I have the same notes. Like he's just, he's complete. Like he's very good all around, not great at anything, but just very good all around. So I really like a lot of what he does. So knocking on, knocking on the door of the next tier, then this next tier is very, I think landing spot dependent. You know, a lot of these guys could, I mean, I think this next tier could go, I mean, I've got six to 12 here on our list. I, I swear it could go 15, 20 deep. Like, like there's so many guys in this, you know, that if they land in the right situation with the right draft capital, they could really be, you know, something special. So the first guy for both Joseph and I is Terrace Marshall. So Joseph, what do you like so much about Terrace Marshall? Marshall is a guy that's probably closer to my tier two than the tier three with the rest of the guys that we'll get to in a minute. I mean, he was a former five-star recruit who is a red zone maven, very good athlete, prototypical alpha size I think had we not seen him share the field with Justin Jefferson, who's arguably the wide receiver one in Dynasty right now, and Jamar Chase, who's arguably the wide receiver one in this class, we would be viewing Marshall in a completely different light. And a couple things that we saw this year, uh, in the few games he played, I think he played six or seven games prior to opting out, we saw him score like 10 touchdowns or so, and we saw... We saw a really poor quarterback play from LSU, but no matter who was under center, uh, they were targeting Marshall as that alpha, as that guy that could uh, win against man and zone and press and really look to him as the guy. And I think if there was anyone outside of the top five that we're looking as a potential alpha that you can get later in rookie drafts, and by later, I mean probably late first round, early second at the latest. He's still going to go early. But Terrace Marshall is closer to the earlier tiers of guys that we already mentioned than the guys below him for me. Yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna have to agree. Uh, we've been doing some, just some mock drafts at NFL Draft Bible, and he is going in that tier with the, the five guys that we've already talked about. So it seems like you're not alone in that regard, Joe, that people are, are finding this guy to be absolutely good enough to, to move up, you know, taken ahead of, of Rashad Bateman and at least a couple of them. So he's, he's got everyone's attention for sure. And yeah, I mean, it was a, it was a crowded room, you know, a year ago and he still put up good numbers despite being the the third guy. And then, you know, this year, like everything you pointed out, you know, definitely subbar quarterback play and he was you know he was the alpha receiver and he played like it I mean to put up the the stats that he did with you know 48 48 receptions in seven games for you know 731 yards averaged over 15 yards per catch and the 10 scores like you said that those are great numbers for for just seven games again again on a bad team so yeah I I got to move him up I've, I've got him lower just because I'm I'm always tinkering with my my rankings but but he's he's the the one guy that I would say is is going to be consistently with the with the top five, and then 
one of the next guys we'll probably talk about is another one that I'm moving up even more, but I'll, I'll let, let Dwight get into that. <laughs> yeah, I got, yeah, I said the same thing about Terrace Marshall. I, I love his athletic ability. I think he's a little bit raw still, which is, which is amazing because he's showing a lot. I love how smooth he plays. He just seems very smooth in everything he does. Like there's no like, you know, freakishly weird, you know, moves. He just seems very smooth and very difficult to cover. So I like him a lot. So, all right, this one is how Joseph, I'll get to your number seven. Cause this is one that's probably I've seen anywhere from five to 15. Like I'm on Ross St. Brown just seems to be like, nobody can really get a bead on where this guy's going to land. And I think it, Landing spot will be critical for him. Draft capital will be critical for him. You know, are, are people going to be scared off by, you know, not not the, as much college production? I mean, he had a pretty decent year last year. But we, I think we expected bigger things for Amon Ra. So, Joseph, why do you have him at seven, man? I think he's able to separate at ease. And I think he's a, a good athlete. Um, I mean, w- one of the things that I really hold in high regard when I'm evaluating their receiver position is the the ability to separate. I don't care if it's with elite route running. I don't care if it's with, well, I somewhat care if it's with pure athleticism because you're not going to consistently win at the NFL level with that. St. Brown seems to just always be open. And um, I mean, that's something that I covet in the receiver prospects that I look at. And for me, I, I mean, I mean, he played with some NFL caliber players. Like he he played alongside Michael Pittman last year. Uh, Drake London's going to be an early pick. Tyler Vaughn's might make an NFL roster. I think he probably should. And St. Brown may have been. I mean, I would say Pittman is probably better, but I would think St. Brown is probably a a third round NFL pick. And I think he could create. A, or sort of carve out a career for himself, sort of like a Tyler Boyd, where he's operating uh, underneath um, sort of short intermediate routes, security blanket on third downs, converting first downs, more of a PPR monster than a true alpha. I don't think that's his game at all, but uh, that's sort of the comp that I see. Uh, he may be a little bit more athletic than Boyd, but um, that's why I like him. I, I think there are guys below him that with good draft capital could vault him, but that's why I have him at seven. Oh, amazingly, Boyd is exactly the name I was going to bring up when talking about Amon <laughs> Ross St. Brown. I can't, can't believe you said that. Yeah, he he's you know that he's that kind of guy where he just he does everything really well. I mean he he runs really good routes and gets open. He makes contested catches. He, he always seems to to be in a position for the quarterback to get him the ball. And he's got really good hands, you know, enough speed to, to get deep, but that, you know, he's not relying on that. And just, just a really complete solid wide receiver. And I think, I think in a way he's almost less, less dependent on landing spot because of that, because I think he could in, in theory, just be that, that wide receiver too, for almost anybody who, who drafts him. I mean, yeah. You know, if you're looking for, for the alpha that, the number one, he's probably not that guy, but he definitely could be a, a great number two. And, you know, so many teams are going, you know, even three wide receivers deep, you know, like, like, you know, throw out a, a team green Bay, for example, you know, everyone's talking about, Oh, wouldn't it be great if they had a great, you know, wide receiver two there. 
Amon Ross St. Brown, but, you know, get, get the really good St. Brown, not the other guy, um, his, his older brother. And, you know, he would, he would fill in perfectly in a, in a situation like that, I think, where he doesn't have to be the, the number one or hell, I'll just go with my team, the Vikings. I mean, you know, Adam Thielen's not getting any younger. And I, I would love to see them grab a guy like St. Brown to pair with, you know, Jefferson moving forward and then Thielen can be their three and just kind of stick around for as long as he wants to play. So yeah, I, I like him a lot. I've got him in that, that grouping there, you know, going from six to 10, he's, he's right in the middle of that. You know, if obviously if he somehow fell in the draft, I would, I would have to rethink that. But otherwise I think he's kind of set right in that spot. Just to me real quick, I, he feels safe and I think it gets into a, this could be a long conversation that we could have at another time, but I think it may make sense to rank or tier these guys in terms of projection, like guys you could see as an alpha that are X receivers and guys that are more possession receivers that are safe and less landing spot dependent. Um, Because I really think rankings are subjective, honestly. Uh, It depends on whatever factors you view as valuable and important, but I mean, viewing someone like St. Brown, who both Skip and I think is a safe prospect, but may not have the upside as some guys that are probably ranked below him. It's just, it's a a rabbit hole that we could get down some other time about how people rank and view players. Um, But like you said, I mean, he seems like a safe player that doesn't really need a a good landing spot to have a similar career arc or, or path to fantasy relevance like a lot of other guys that we have either talked about or will talk about. I'll flip over to my number seven, who who is, I think the more I watch of him, he's becoming one of, I think he might be my guy this year. That's Elijah Moore from Ole Miss. Um, he's going to be a slot guy. You know, I, I don't think his skill set is going to be like a, the wide receiver two, you know, on the outside. But what I love about him is I love his athleticism, the agility. After the catch, he's I just I think he's crazy dangerous. He creates separation at, at you know right off the line quick. You know he's really good working the middle, the second level of the field there. He's just incredibly elusive, like great footwork. He's just a guy I really really loved watching. Like I, I turned on, you know, trying to watch Matt Corral this year because I thought he was going to be something better, and I was like, man, Corral would be nothing if it wasn't for Moore. Like good lord, like Moore just put up. I can't. Ah, let me see here. I know he started off, he kind of tailed a little toward the end of the year, but he ended up with 1,100, almost 1,200 yards with eight touchdowns. And they get him involved in the rushing game as well. So he's a guy that I just, I think he's going to be an electric slot receiver. Uh, I just, I love Elijah Moore. And unfortunately, he's starting to get a little traction, which sucks. I want him to stay quiet. But nothing stays quiet in this in this realm anymore, does it? Like, you, you can't have sleeper guys anymore, like Dwayne Eskridge and... You know, stuff like that. People talk about him. And people, like, shh, damn it, that's mine, you know? So, so anyways, all right, I don't know if you guys got anything on Elijah Moore. Skip, you got anything? Or? Just that he's he's moving up my list as well. Um, I hadn't watched a lot of him, but, you know, you, you, like you said, you keep hearing the buzz. It's like, all right, I better better pay more attention here. And it it became clear. It's like, wow, this guy is a complete wide receiver too. I mean, he's – he, you know, I agree with your assessment. I think the slot is where he's going to going to work great out of, and he's a really good route runner. And obviously, you know, he's got good hands. I mean, 
catches almost 11 passes per, per game. I mean, that's just absurd production. So he was one where, where I'll admit, you know, early in the season, I wasn't that high on him. Wasn't even really on my radar, but then, you know, more and more people started talking about him. I was like, all right, I gotta, I gotta see what these people are talking about. And I'm, I'm becoming more convinced that, yep, this guy absolutely has a future in the NFL. I like more as well, sort of talking out of both sides of my mouth here, but I just, I don't know how high I'm going to have players I feel are slot only options. And I say this as someone that has Rondale Moore at five. So I, I don't know. I don't really know exactly what I'm trying to say here. I like Moore for the same reasons you mentioned. I think he's a dynamic player with good hands uh, who absolutely dominated t- targets on a poor Ole Miss team. I just, my one concern is that if he doesn't get the draft capital that a guy like Rondale will have, and he's slot only, even if he's dynamic, what does that get you in terms of fantasy production at the next level? When you look at the wide receiver landscape in the NFL, and there are so many players that are fantasy relevant. So I like Moore. The reason I have him a little bit lower than you is because the guys I have above him, I think, could develop into... Not necessarily alphas, but um, are more likely to gain more prominent roles at the next level. I could just see him carving like a Jarvis Landry type role. You know, like I think he could easily sure. do that with that type of production. And nobody likes Jarvis Landry. I do, <laughs> but anyways. Um, <laughs> all right, we both have Seth Williams at number eight, which is kind of cool. Like I, Seth Williams is a guy I've been crazy high on for a really long time. And unfortunately, he's just been stuck with one of the worst college quarterbacks in history, in my opinion. But, um, (laughs) Joseph, what do you see that puts Seth at number eight for you? So, I mean, in a normal class, he could be a lot higher. Prototypical size, he's like 6'3", 210 plus, early breakout. So, at times, he flashes like T. Higgins vibes. I think he wins in the same ways. For me, the problem is... He's super inconsistent on tape, and I don't know whether that's because Bo Nix sucks or if it's because he just plays with inconsistent effort. So Higgins is a guy I like a lot, or Higgins, Williams is a guy I like a lot um, because I think he could develop into a wide receiver one at the NFL level, and I would not be shocked at all if that's what ends up happening. I just have some concerns about the consistency in his play. Yeah, I think draft capital is going to be king with him. Yep. Like, if he falls fifth, sixth round, I don't think he's ever going to be able to break through that, you know, that ceiling there that he could possibly have. So another guy I think that falls in that same range, though, is Tylen Wallace. So, I don't know, Skip, what do you think of Tylen? I like Tylen Wallace. Um, I think he, he kind of falls into that that same category of these guys that, that are – just good all-around wide receivers. And, you know, he had a, a great season uh, a couple of years ago, and then he got an injury-shortened one. But, you know, I think people forget just how how awesome he was with almost 1,500 yards and 12 touchdowns. So I'm I'm higher on Thailand than, than maybe Seth Williams. Um, I kind of put him up in that Amon Ross St. Brown, you know, Elijah Moore area. But, uh, you know, we're, we're definitely in this – in this part of the discussion, you know, this grouping of wide receivers where, where draft position and, and landing spot are, are so crucial. It's really going to change um, where I view these guys as far as, you know, in, in non-Debbie leagues when I'm doing my rookie drafts, 
you know, I gotta, I gotta remember that that matters. I mean, if there's a guy that I'm not as high on and all of a sudden he, he moves up and gets taken into the third round to a team that, you know, clearly likes him. And, you know, the, the name that keeps popping into my head is Chase Claypool. I was not high on him going into this year and, you know, Hey, I was wrong. I mean, I should have paid more attention to that, that draft stock. And I, you know, I think this is, this is the kind of these guys that we're talking about are all there. I mean, I, I think if he can get, you know, in anywhere in day two, that's, that's a good sign for Wallace and, and a lot of these guys and Seth Williams as well. So I, I think he's got the opportunity to be really good. Just, just, just a matter of, of getting that, that draft capital. And I was honestly kind of surprised that he was only six foot one ninety. I feel like he plays a lot bigger than that. Like when you watch him on tape. So he's definitely a guy I like a lot. Another guy I like a lot where we're getting down to the bottom of our 12 here, but both of us have Diami Brown from North Carolina in the same range. So my notes on Diami is I just think, I think he's a good athletic receiver. Um, his hands sometimes are a little bit of a detriment, but I like his long speed body control. He high points balls. Well, he extends away from his body when catching. He doesn't let balls get in on him like that. Uh, he needs to work on his route running, his physicality a little bit. You know, so he's a little bit raw in those areas. But you see a lot of the big play potential. I mean, Sam Howell looked to him every time he needed a big play, and more times than not, he came up with it. So I really like Dami Brown a lot as a guy that you know probably another guy who's going to draft capital. You know. Do does the NFL see him the way I see him? You know, like I I love watching him and hopeful for him in the NFL. So what do you got on him, Joseph? Not a whole lot that you haven't already touched on. I think uh, Dane Brugler with the Athletic is someone that's pretty locked in with how the NFL views some of these prospects. And I think Brown is a guy that I've seen in mocks as low as like the sixth round. But Dane plugged him into his second round to a a pretty strong landing spot. I don't know if it was the Titans or the Packers, but it was a place that needed a a good wide receiver too. And I think if he gets that sort of draft capital, it's absolutely wheels up for him because he's a dynamic player uh, with good yet inconsistent ball skills. But I, I think he's, he just threatens defenses at all levels of the field. And he's a player I'm very excited about. All right, and then like kind of a sexy name, Kadarius Tony was, you know, it seems like he made himself a lot of money this year as well. Although you and I have him down pretty low, so I'm curious, Skip, what is, what do you think of Mr. Tony from Florida? There, you know, I'm I'm definitely in that wait and see category on Tony. Um, I mean, he he does make some good plays, some some big plays, and he and he looked absolutely looked good this season. I'm just not, I'm not really sure. Um, if his game's going to translate into the NFL, I mean, he's, he's shifty, but is he strong enough? Um, he's not, you know, not the biggest guy. So I guess I'm kind of, you know, kind of in that I need to do, do more research on Tony, watch more film and, and see, you know, am I missing something or is my initial assessment there? And obviously I got plenty of time to do that, but, you know, I'm, I'm interested to hear, you know, why, you know, why do you guys like him, you know, more than some of the other you know, dynamic playmakers, you know, even guys that aren't even on the list, you know, guys like, well, you know, Tutu Atwell, for example, um, you know, someone like that, who's just a, a freak athlete. Yeah. I think Tony's another one of those guys that could just be a lot better in the NFL than for fantasy. Like, you know, someone will, if they find the right role for him there, that he could be, like you said, the, the strength, the functional strength, the play strength is 
my biggest concern with him. And that a team might get too cute, too gadgety with him. You know, like, I don't know. Sometimes that turns me off. Like, I've just been burned by it too many times in fantasy. So that's kind of where I'm at. So You have Tutu on your list, though. Joseph, what do you you like him? Or you think he's got a, a role in the NFL? Or Yeah, I mean, this class is so much fun because I have Atwell as my 15th ranked receiver. And I think in a normal year where you don't have the the high-end players that this class has or the depth that this class has, you could see him a lot higher up on this list. But, I mean, he's a player that in the Marquise Hollywood Brown archetype, a smaller, skinny receiver with tremendous speed that relies on that speed sometimes to create separation, which is a bit of a concern. He is slight. He can get affected by contact. But, man, he is dynamic. And, I mean, at the very least, he can serve as a team's deep threat I mean, this year we saw players like Darnell Mooney create roles for themselves at the NFL level and um, perhaps exceed expectations. And I think Atwell is a a better player than Mooney. So I think um, if he gets on a team that needs a field stretcher that can also um, run some intermediate routes with some level of technique, like I think Atwell can. Like Tutu is a guy that's probably going to I know there's no combine, but I think he ran in the low four threes the last time he ran a 40, and um, he can create separation pretty much at ease, even though he's not the most technically sound route runner. So he's not a guy that can beat press regularly, but you put him in the slot and you give him free releases, and I think he's a dynamic player for your offense. So Tutu's a guy I like, curious about landing spot and draft capital and all that stuff, and I think that will affect where I ultimately rank him, but... He's a guy that I think is very talented and am certainly intrigued by. All right, last name we'll go deep on. It is kind of another guy, you know, that, that fits in that same vein almost. It's Tamarian Terry from Florida State. So, Skip, I'm kind of curious where you have him on because he's like an absolute do not draft for me. <laughs> like, I'm just, I'm scared of his hands. Like, and I'm just, he's just, I, uh, yeah. That is a valid concern, and for me, it is the only one. I'm probably higher on Tamorian Terry than anybody else. Um, I absolutely fell in love with this guy last year, and so this year was a pretty disappointing year for Terry, but the the speed-size combination, I mean, you know, 6'4", I think he was 205 last year, and then he bulked up to 220. I, I got really excited about that. I mean, I'm like, oh man, because this kid is just a playmaker and he's and he's so fast and and then you watch him play and they drop this perfect bomb right into his hands and it and it falls off and he drops it and that's when you just you know the, the shoulders just slump down. It's like, oh man, you're killing me. You're killing me, dude. Um I again I'm gonna have to rely on the NFL and draft capital on Terry. I, I can't, I, I can see what's going to happen. He'll, he'll slip like into the fifth round because of that. And then I will end up taking him in the third round of every single rookie draft I'm in. And I will have, you know, 10 shares of Tavari and Terry. <laughs> so that, that's what I, what I don't want to happen. I want him to get higher, higher draft capital and for, for him to, to be in a, a chance to get get more opportunity, but I'm I think I think your concern is is the valid one, and that's what what people are worried about. So hopefully, hopefully, it figures that out. I'm sitting here listening to you talk, and 
literally everything you're saying is like what I'm thinking about in my head as I want to sit here and wait to rebut what you're going through. And I mean, coming into this year, I think I had Terry at wide receiver four. And I mean, you look at his size, you see that he bulked up 15 pounds to 6'4", 220. And it's like, oh my God, this guy runs a 4'3 at that size. And you just like drool at what he could be. Like that's almost DK Metcalf type size speed combination. And then you watch him go out this year and he's just dropping balls left and right. And I know he had some off-field stuff, like personal things, not necessarily off-field concerns that sort of affected uh, his performance on the field this year. But I mean, what you had said, like he feels like a, a lock for fifth round draft capital. And that sucks because the odds on those guys making it in the NFL is so slim. But you look at his size and speed and what he did early in his career. I mean, as a freshman, a redshirt freshman, but he he broke out. He was a star on a very poor Florida State team. And of all the guys ranked below, really below Terrace Marshall in this class, he is the one that I think it would not be shocking to see him blow up and become a, a star at the next level. But if he fizzled out and just was nothing, it would also, it would probably be even less surprising, which is why I have him down at 13, because I think the bust potential between a lack of projected draft capital and the inconsistent hands, I think those are concerns to the point where I don't feel comfortable ranking him higher. But man, if he hits, the upside is going to be tremendous. So I'm going to end up with uh, Terry on every single one of my teams, like Skip <laughs> mentioned, and he's probably not going to make it, and it's going to be a concern. But he's the type of risk-reward player that I will always take a chance on just because of the upside. Yeah, I think if, if you're writing an article on the, on the wide receivers in the draft, you were categorizing them. When you got to the category of boom-bust, there's just going to be a picture of Torian Terry right there. It's like he is the... Yeah perfect definition of a boom bust guy in this draft <laughs> like you guys all right i think we'll wrap up our discussion there today I mean, there's so many names that are enticing you know like uh yeah we could almost do another episode on the on the bottom 12 you know guys that probably will not make it but who knows the senior bowl will, will get a couple of these guys on the on people's radars as well so all right, we're going to wrap this up. Skip, you tell everybody where they can find you on Twitter and what you are working on right now. Yeah, uh, my name is Skip Newton. I'm at SkipNewton31 on Twitter. Always open to have discussions or DM if you got questions. I am the co-host of the Debbie Happy Hour. That's part of the Dynasty Happy Hour family of podcasts. So you just have to find Dynasty Happy Hour and then we're, we'll show up automatically on that feed. And then I cover the ACC from a Debbie perspective for the NFLDraftBible.com. So really excited to be a part of that group as well. Excellent. Excellent. They, they've been doing some really good work lately. So, yeah, I've, I've been – NFL Draft Bible has quickly climbed up on the list of my one of my sites that I like to frequent as well. So, Joseph, we're going to find you on Twitter. What you working on, bud? Yep. So I'm on Twitter at jnamore24. Um, I'm a senior writer over at DynastyLeagueFootball.com. So uh, in the last couple of weeks, I published a, a Trevor Lawrence and a Devontae Smith uh, draft profile. Not necessarily. I mean, everyone knows those guys. So you can go check out my stuff, see why I like them. Basically, same reasons why everyone else likes them, but dive into 
projected dynasty value and what I think of their fantasy outlooks going forward. And then going forward, I'm going to have a Terrace Marshall profile coming out in the next uh, week or so. And then my big project that I am working on is a top 100 rookies article. So I was waiting on draft declarations and stuff to get my list of players finalized. That will be uh, in the works over the next couple weeks. Um, You can look for that probably early February on DLF. Excellent, man. The top 100 is always... Uh, always one of my favorite things to read as well. So, all right, you can find me on Twitter at FF People's Champ, doing mostly film cut up at the Nerd with the Dynasty Nerds and Debbie Manual YouTube channel. Kind of quiet on that lately, though. I've been sidetracked with also rookie profiles for Dynasty Nerds. So, like, we all have stuff going on for, ironically, the three sites that I love the most. So, uh, I think that's kind of cool. So, a good mix of guys we got here tonight. So, it was a pleasure to talk to you guys. I needed it. Sometimes my quarantine life, I need to geek out and talk to some guys about some football. So, all right, you can find this podcast on Twitter at Debbie Manual, and we will talk to you guys next week. About the Mountain West, the Mac that can flex. Sunbelt is next. Ivy League fresh, literally dope. Thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of players to test. I'm serious. They will talk about the most obscure players on this planet, potentially another planet. Like. Dude's got a 4-3-40 from Mars, like, I don't know, I, it's too much, I'm done, I'm gone this time.